Welcome. So good to have you with us today. We're going to be opening John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51, as we continue our series on John's gospel. I'm going to start by reading these verses to you. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is, is an Israelite in there, whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. <coughs> Excuse me. This is one of those passages that really benefits from time from meditating on the Word of God. Now, when we talk about meditating on the Word of God, we're not talking about just sitting and emptying our minds. No, we're talking about sitting and pausing <coughs> and filling our minds, allowing the Word of God to really permeate our consciousness. And that's what I did with this passage in my preparation. You see, when I first read it, it felt like a bit of a filler section. It felt like kind of a handful of verses where John was just introducing some characters who would be there later in the gospel. Andrew, John, most scholars think that John is the disciple not named here. Simon, who became Peter, Philip and Nathaniel. Nathaniel is referred to as Bartholomew, one of his other names later in the gospel. And it felt initially, this is just kind of a little filler section before we get into the real stuff. 
But as I meditated on these verses, as I read them, not just once, but twice, three times, four times, just reading them through, and I, I read them through out loud, that helps me focus on them, I discovered this is not a filler passage. And of course it's not, because John never has filler passages. John never is just using words for words' sake. We know this because he tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's goal is transformation. The aim of John's gospel, the reason he writes it, is he wants us to discover who Jesus is and through that revelation to then discover who we are and safe in that our, our identity in Christ to then step into the calling and the mission and the life that Jesus has for us. He'll describe that life in John chapter 10 as life in all its fullness, an exciting, adventurous life. And as I meditated on these verses and began to ask, how then do these verses help shape us? I noticed this. That in these verses, there are nine different descriptions or titles for Jesus. Just in 16 verses, nine different titles. Here they are. Lamb of God, verse 36. Rabbi, verse 38. Messiah, verse 41. The one of whom Moses and the prophets spoke, verse 45. Jesus of Nazareth, 45. Joseph's son, verse 45. Son of God, verse 49. King of Israel, verse 49. And son of man, verse 51. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm recovering from a cold. This blew me away. Nine different titles or descriptions of Jesus. And as I read them again and again, I realized they also, for me, fell into three areas. Three of them spoke of Jesus' humanity. Rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph's son. Three spoke of Jesus' divinity. Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. And three spoke about Jesus' purpose or Mission, Lamb of God, Messiah, and the one of whom Moses and the prophets spoke. In fact, that last one you could almost apply to all the categories, but we'll keep it in there in number three at the moment. Now, we could spend our whole time unpacking one of these, and in fact, that's what John will do for us over these coming weeks and months. But let's look at each section in turn, each area starting with Jesus' humanity. We have seen already in the introduction that we've done over recent weeks that John roots Christ in his humanity. The Word became flesh. This is so important. It's so important for us because the humanity of Jesus reminds us that he really understands. Life is complex, isn't it? Work, family, singleness, marriage, illness, health, success, failure, money, lack of money. All these things feed into our lives. It's complex. 
And sometimes we can think no one understands. But God does understand. Because the word became flesh. Because Jesus was Joseph's son. He grew up in a physical family. He had a mum and a dad. Yes, we know his father was his father in heaven, but he grew up in a family. He learnt a trade. He was the son of a carpenter. He became a carpenter himself. He had to work for his living in an unfair system under oppression. Have you got an annoying customer at work? Well, so did Jesus. Does the alarm go off and you not want to get up? So did Jesus. Are there bills to be paid and bills to be collected? Well, there were for Jesus. Are you trying to balance the books and pay tax? So did Jesus. Jesus was Joseph's son, a worker, a businessman, trying to work out his faith in the workplace, just like you and I. He was also Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what are we told about Nazareth in this passage? Well, one thing, you didn't want to come from there. It was a dodgy area. What does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was part of the northern territories. It had a mixed population, which meant it was the Gentiles around. The schools weren't very good. The housing wasn't very good. The climate wasn't very good. You didn't want to come from there. What Jesus experiences here is racism. Nathaniel is saying, oh, I don't want anything to do with something from Nazareth. He's making a judgment. He is prejudiced. He's making a pre-judgment. Do you experience racism in your life? Well, so did Jesus. Judgment because of just where you come from. So did Jesus, have you been excluded or judged because of where you're from or the colour of your skin? So was Jesus. I, I may not be able to understand your situation, but God does because he did. He was human. He had flesh. The third human title he's given is rabbi, a position of honour. So, so you've got a, a worker, you've got someone who can be oppressed and who can feel judged, but you've also got this title, Rabbi, which is a position of honour. People wanted to follow him. People wanted to listen to him. As we'll see, people wanted to lift him up and give him position, which he resisted. Have you had to battle the challenge of having power or influence? Well, Jesus did. He chose the way of humble service and he encourages us to do the same if we have that position. Jesus' humanity matters because we are working out our faith in our humanity, in our flesh. And so Jesus can relate to us and through Christ, God shows us he relates to us. But we also have the divinity of Christ, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man, which is a, a, a phrase Jesus uses of himself, and it points back to Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, where Daniel sees one like the Son of Man. It's a clear divine title and encounter. These titles speak of the divinity of Christ. Jesus' humanity connects God to our humanity 
Jesus' divinity speaks transformation into our humanity. Jesus' divinity is revealed in this passage through both the words and also his actions. See, Jesus in his divinity brings revelation to both Simon and to Nathanael. Says of Simon, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. Names are important, aren't they? Names matter now. Parents spent time choosing the right name for their child. In Hebrew culture at the time of Jesus, names meant so much more. They defined people. They gave authority to people. To give someone your name was to be open to them and give them some authority over you. And here Jesus looks at Simon and calls out a new person by giving him a new name. Simon is a soft name. It speaks of a reed blown in the wind. Possibly not someone who will hold their course in a time of challenge. As you can imagine, I'm quite invested in this name. Jesus looks at this man and says, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know your history, son of John. I know the name you've been given. I know how you perceive yourself. But that's not the whole story. And he calls out of this man, Peter, a rock. Later we'll hear, he, he says, I'll build my church on this rock. This man would be the first one to stand up and proclaim the gospel after the resurrection. We also know he was one who denied Jesus. And Jesus in his divinity knows all of this, but calls him calls him, empowers him, equips him, renames him, speaks change over him. He does the same with Nathanael. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael approaching. He said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. That's a really good question, isn't it? How can you make that judgment of me? I love the little interplay here. You see, Nathaniel's made a judgment, hasn't he, of Jesus. How can anything good come of Israel? A negative, of Nazareth, a negative judgment. Jesus sees his heart and makes a positive judgment. I know you, he says. I know you. There's no deceit in you. And Nathaniel can't believe it. He can't understand. Jesus' reply to Nathanael instantly reveals who he is. And Nathanael instantly sees it. You must be God. You must be God. <clears throat> Many scholars believe that Nathanael was actually studying scripture under the fig tree. A fig tree was a great place in a hot country. Big leaves, lovely shade, something to rest your back on. It was a place where people would often sit and open the word of God. And many, scholar, <coughs> many scholars believe that's what Nathaniel was doing, which is why Jesus refers to an Old Testament passage when he speaks to him. When he says, you will see angels ascending and descending, Jesus is making a reference to Genesis 28 and Jacob's dream. Jesus is just unpacking this man in a moment. 
I know you. I know what you were doing. I know what you were reading. I know what your future looks like. <clears throat> what an incredible encounter. You see, again, with both, with both Simon Peter and with Nathaniel, Christ in his divinity is seeing who they are and also who they'll become. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their strengths. He reads their character. He knows their heart and he speaks in faith. You will be a rock, he says to Simon, and you'll be called Peter. You will see amazing kingdom encounters, he says to Nathaniel. In his humanity, Jesus identifies with us. But in his divinity, Jesus calls us to our true identity in him. Do you write yourself off? Do you think my history, my character, they're going to always limit me? Do you look at your future and think I've got no opportunity? Don't listen to those lies. Because Jesus looks at you. Jesus looks at me. Jesus looks at us. And knowing us completely calls us to step into our identity and our hope in him. That's what Jesus is doing here with these disciples. It's what he wants to do today through the power of his Holy Spirit in your heart and my heart. So we have Christ's humanity revealed. We have Christ's divinity revealed. And we have Christ's mission revealed. Again, the mission of Jesus is declared in his titles and his actions. So we have Lamb of God. This is a phrase we've already encountered a number of times in the gospel. And it's pointing us to the Passover lamb. The lamb that was sacrificed on the day of atonement to take the sins of the Jewish nation. And John is reminding us time and time again, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Not just one nation in one place, but all nations in all places. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come to save. The Messiah, he's described. The anointed one who would redeem Israel and through redeeming Israel, redeem, redeem the world. The one who Moses and the prophets speak of. When we talk about the words of Moses, we're talking about the law. Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. When we talk about the prophets, the, the Jews were talking about the prophetic voices and the prophetic history. And all of these words were pointing to the day of restoration and redemption in God through the Messiah. This is about the mission of Jesus. Let me read these verses again to you because it unpacks this for us. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. So we discover the mission of Christ through his titles, but also through what he does. I love, the, I love this, uh, this moment where John is talking to two of his disciples and Jesus happens to walk by. It's like, this is no accident. 
I, I can picture Jesus and John, who were cousins. I can, I can picture Jesus kind of looking up and catching John's eye. And John catching Jesus' eye and thinking, this is the moment. This is the moment when my role, John the Baptist's role with these two disciples is over. I need to pass them on. And, and he kind of says, oh, look, look, there's the man I was telling you about. And they turn and see him and, and they kind of follow him. They're a bit nervous. And so when he turns and asks them, they ask him this strange question. Um, where are you staying? <laughs> it's, like, it's like an embarrassed teenage boy wanting to talk to a girl and at the last moment asking her the time. It's like, oh, yeah, we want... Oh. And Jesus says, oh, tell you what, let me show you. Jesus always loves to show us rather than just tell us. But Jesus is seeking them. He's looking for them. He's not just hoping they might follow. No, he's seeking them. And then again, the next day, it says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. Well, why does he find Philip? He finds Philip because he was looking for Philip. See, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. He identifies with us in his humanity. He transforms us through his divinity, but he seeks us in his mission. He is looking for us. He wants us for relationship. He's not just trying to do some theological transaction. No, he loves us in his humanity, identifies with us in his divinity. He calls us out to be who we truly are. And his mission is to show us that he loves us, that he delights in us, that he knows us by name. In his mission, Jesus is lifting our eyes to the face of the Father. He's lifting our hearts to connect with the kingdom mission that we were created for right back there in the beginning. Rule over the earth and subdue it. Bring the kingdom of God wherever you go. This is the mission of Christ. John reminds us through these verses and throughout the gospel that mission is the context for discovering who Christ is. He describes the mission of Christ in order to reveal the identity of Christ. And he calls us into the mission of Christ that we might discover our true identity. We must never forget that, that our kingdom calling, our kingdom mission is the context for our relationship. It's not the reason for our relationship. God loves us because he loves us. God doesn't choose us to get a job done. He chooses us because he wants relationship with us. But then the context of that relationship is the kingdom of God and mission. And what I love about these verses is the simplicity of working out that mission. And this is where we're going to land. There are moments in John's gospel where we will be challenged to step outside of our comfort zones and take risks. And that's good. There are aspects of our kingdom mission which are challenging and will take steps of faith together and we will go for that together in that adventure. But in these verses we're just shown the beautiful simplicity of Christ's mission. And it's this, come and see. Verse 
invitation. That's what Jesus does here. He says to these disciples, come and see. Where are you living? Come and see. And then they do exactly the same to the people they love. You see with Andrew and with Philip, what do they do? When Jesus has said to them, come and see, and they encounter Christ, what's their first reaction? To go and find the people they love and say, come and see. Come and meet who I've met. Come and discover what I've discovered. This is the simplicity of mission. To meet Jesus, to respond to his invitation to us, and then to take that invitation and give it to those around us. Starting with the people we love. You'll notice here that Philip and Andrew don't go out to the crowds. They don't go to speak to people they don't know. No, they simply go to brothers and friends. And friends, that's what God is encouraging us to do this year. As we respond to Christ's invitation to us, as we meet with him afresh, as we discover more about who he is and then about who we are, the next step is to go and invite. To say to our friends and our family, come and see. Come and meet the one we have met who understands us in his humanity but wants to transform us through his divinity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you call us by name. We thank you that you know us. You know who we are now, but you also know who we'll become. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you are transforming us from one degree of glory into another. Help us to live in the good of your call and in the security of our identity in you. That we might be blessed and that you might be glorified. Thank you, Lord. Amen.